Hello, I'm Lindsay, and this is the very first FSF podcast. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We are in the Crown and Anchor in Covent Garden in London. And thank you very much for all turning up for this. Uh, we have got so much to get through. And I've got an esteemed panel who are joining me to talk through a few topics. But I think we should start off by, first of all, saying if you want to get in touch and interact with the programme, there's a hashtag, FSFpod. So get using that. Also, our audience, you're feeling vocal tonight, aren't you? Yeah. yeah, they're going to put their hands up. They're going to make themselves known if they want to interject because this is what it's all about, empowering fans. Have you felt empowered this last season or have you not? You can have your say as we get through different topics. Uh, another starting point, though, is that did you hear the news? Because we've come in, in within, le- within the last hour, big news has happened. One of our first topics to discuss was FIFA. And has everyone heard the news? Yeah. I want your reactions. You can give me an audio. If you actually are somebody out here that thinks this is sad news, please make yourself known. But uh, Seth Blatter has resigned as FIFA president. Yay! Any boos? No, everyone's happy. Thought they might be. Uh, we may challenge that later, though. Um, I'm going to get the panel to introduce themselves, who they are, what they do. And I've asked, because that is going to be a big high point of the season, but a personal high and low from the last season. Hi, I'm Laura Jones. I'm a football blogger and I'm a fans columnist for Sheffield Star for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, My high point of the season, um, personally, Sheffield Wednesday have been taken over by some tuna mongers. Um, So uh, hopefully we'll have lots of filthy cash to spend now. uh, And uh, also I've enjoyed Nigel Pearson immensely this season. Do the people that have taken over your club know that relegation exists? Yes, yes they good. are well aware. Okay, because we've had that with some owners before, haven't <laughs> we? John, your turn. Uh, John Brown, uh, Manchester City fan, run the lesbian and gay supporters group, Canal Street Blues. Um, low, high point of the season for me has been our academy opening, which has been brilliant, and I think it will touch on lots of things because we've got the women's team playing there, we've got the young people coming through the youth team, we've also got the first two safe standing areas in a premiership club which I know is a huge issue for the FSF Um, but it's been topped off by the JFK moment that we were in the crown and anchor when Seth Blatter resigned I think we'll remember that for the rest of our (laughs) lives actually I think so your low point? Um, Probably getting (laughs) thrown out of the Champions League again because, <laughs> because thrown we, out. Yeah, I like yeah, that. You, well, you know, it's like the scruff of your neck. Well, there you go. No, we, Manchester we, City. We, we should have been dumped out ages, but we we were a bit like one last gasp, and we had one last gasp against Munich, and then against Roma, and then it all collapsed. And I think we just need to be a bit bit better next year. Next season. Yeah, next season, season it'll be wonderful. Yeah. 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 Of course, uh, Kev. I'm Kevin Miles, and I'm the chief executive of the Football Supporters Federation, and I'm a Newcastle fan. And as a result of that, it's been one long low all season, to be honest. Uh, it's very, very difficult to think of a positive. We might get a trophy as the most disenfranchised and disempowered fans of the whole of the country. If I had to find a positive, other than Sepp Blatter going and other than beating West Ham on the last day of the season to stay up and live the misery again for a whole <laughs> season, it would probably be Bly Spartans. 
Cup run, Ooh. which got a lot of local pleasure out of beating Hartlepool and then a fairly feisty performance against Birmingham. So there was there was nuggets of pleasure in there. There's a Sunderland fan, Ian, who's agreeing with you right now. That won't happen often. No. <laughs> And finally, I'm Emma Oridin, uh, Diversity and Campaigns Manager for the Football Supporters Federation and a, and a happy West, fan, West Ham fan. For me, I think a higher point away from West Ham is probably seeing Bournemouth um, get into the top level. For me, um, small club mentality, up with the big boys next year. Low point, oh, I just think it was West Ham's dismal finish. It was kind of a, a big low point that lasted a few months. And yeah, that, that, for me, that, that, that was it really. Okay, uh, maybe Bournemouth, the new Burnley for next season. I'm Everyone so. loved I'm Bo- Burnley, so. didn't they? Did anyone not like Burnley this season? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kev, the Newcastle. Two one one draws against them. Burnley on a wet Tuesday night yeah. in the winter is not a lovely place to be. It was as miserable as it sounds. It uh, did remind me, though, just listen on what about Bournemouth coming up. I did like the when Cardiff first came up and they had their first game. I think it was at West Ham, and they were singing a song at the West Ham fans, singing You've Only Got One Song, I think in re- response to their Bubbles anthem, to which the West Ham re- fans replied, You've song. Only Got One Season. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we have a round of applause for our panel, everybody? We're going to hear from them over the course of the next 40 minutes or so. Uh, Let's dive straight in to topic one then. We're going to discuss uh, FIFA President Sepp Blatter uh, leaving, resigning. Also, the implications of what's been going on in the press over the last week. It's been a huge, huge week. Is this the biggest sporting scandal ever to have happened? And we've had had the the result of that now with, with Blatter actually standing down. Is that going to be enough? I want to get hands up in the air if you've got anything to say about this. But let's start with Kev because this is more your area I think um, how are you feeling about about the actions of the last few days yes it, it's my area I am personally responsible for <laughs> Slep Batter's uh, resignation you wrote I mean him. I think well funny enough we, I was involved in uh, preparing a statement on behalf of the European fans organization Football Supporters Europe which I think got published last night this morning and it's obviously been a thing that's tipped him over the edge knowing that <laughs> The fans' organisation across Europe with several million members didn't really approve of him. Hopefully it's had an impact. But I don't know anybody who was particularly surprised by the revelations of what went on at FIFA. I think the only surprise I've heard expressed was that somebody's finally done something about it. And it's quite a comment on the football authorities across the world and all of the other confederations and even national associations that it took the FBI to actually intervene and do something about it. Um, the idea, I think, in most people's minds that Blatter could be entirely innocent of everything while all around him were guilty, I think a lot of people found hard to believe. And the fact that he's, uh, he's had to go now, I think, is, is clearly immense pressure built up. My only concern now is that anybody thinks that Blatter going in and of itself changes anything. It's got to be the beginning of something. I completely agree with you. I, I don't think anybody was surprised um, that it was happening. (laughs) Um, I think the FBI have found the only way in to uh, FIFA that they possibly can because they've done uh, uh, what's happened on American soil because after the Garcia report even the Swiss authorities weren't looking at the the allegations. It was all sort of hidden very nicely under the carpet. Uh, Jamie has got his microphone handy. Uh, just, ref- just remind us who you are. Uh, David, Chelsea support. Do you think 
this means that um, Qatar might get called off. And that looked like it was directed more towards you, Kev. But let's get, let's get Jonathan next to you first, because you write for the Blizzard. Jonathan, your response? Well, I mean, this is obviously something we've been following for, well, since we set up, and, and you know, as a journalist for many years before that, it's a, you know, for a lot of journalists, it's the culmination of a long, long campaign that for a long time wasn't, you know, when England were bidding for the World Cup, it wasn't a very popular campaign. Uh, but I think there's, there's two crucial things to remember here. Uh, one is to ask... Why did Blatter... I mean, Blatter was democratically elected last week. So you've got to ask, why does he get those votes? And I think that really is a failure on the part of UEFA. Uh, and Prince Ali, although I think there's extenuating statements for Prince Ali, given he didn't really have much of a platform, and I honestly think he didn't think he had a chance until the arrests happened two days before the vote, that if you look back when Stanley Rouse, who was the last European president of FIFA, when he was toppled in 1974, uh, Joao Havelange... The, the Brazilian who, who then took on Blatter as his um, technical director in 1975 and on to become general secretary, what he offered was representation for Africa, Asia, and uh, the CONCACAF nations. So if you look just at the World Cup, three of 16 sides of the 1974 World Cup came from CONCACAF, CAF, or AFC. It's now 13 of 32. It could conceivably, if they won the playoffs, be 14 of 32. So... I, and, and you know, you look at funding that African and Asian nations have got. Uh, it's gone up seventy percent under Blatter's presidency. So, if you're an African or an Asian nation, you look at Blatter and you see a man who has helped you. Now, unfortunately, you could say it's to do with how clever Blatter is as a politician. He's made it a binary issue that a vote against Blatter is not a vote against corruption. It's a vote for a Eurocentric. Uh, FIFA, and I think it's UEFA's failure to present an alternative to that that has allowed Blatter to stay in power for so long. Now, to come back to the issue of Qatar, this is really complicated because Blatter voted against Qatar. Blatter voted for the World Cup to be in the US. And the reason he did that, it appears, is this bizarre notion he had that he's going to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but he genuinely thought that was not merely possible, but probable. And his argument was that he had taken FIFA... He'd taken football to the world, and he, you know, he took a World Cup to, to South Africa. And his idea was, the US in 2022, get all the TV ads from that, China in 2026. Qatar in 2022 means you can't have China in 2026, because you can't have two Asian nations hosting the World Cup, you know, consecutive events. So, you know, Blatter voted for the US, and the man who was backing Prince Ali, the man who actually had the power block, is Michel Platini, who not merely backed Qatar, probably at Nicolas Sarkozy's uh, asking, but whose son works for QSI, Qatar Sports Investment, and a man who is so wrapped up in, in the, the, uh, the nepotistic politics of this that when he was looking for somebody to write the, the anthem for the Europa League, he turned to his own son-in-law. So if Platini is the white knight then God knows what mess we're in. Okay, well, Jonathan pointing out, maybe not all evil blatter. I know, John, you have strong views. Well, well I mean, I'd agree with you. I mean, it's ironic that the Americans, who are the arch exponents of port barrel politics, get the arch exponent of port barrel politics, which is blatter, who is giving people just enough to keep them... I, I think the, the big issue is that whatever reform, it doesn't have to be with corruption. And I think that's... People are not saying corruption, but... You know, they, there's been lots of evidence that people have been leaving sort of large envelopes of money. They've suddenly found that people have had $3 million in their accounts. That's and a big envelope, John. It's a very big, big envelope. envelope, yeah. I think it? it's probably more of a manila bag, really. But, you know, in that sense, 
And, and I think, in a sense, the press have been light on this. And like the Hillsborough thing, people have been saying for years that there is a story behind this, everyone's denied it, and suddenly it will burst out. And I think we're just at the start of the burst out bit, because if, if Blatter's got any sense, he'd be saying, I'll dob everyone in if I walk away free with the equivalent of a knighthood, although it's the Swedes who do the Nobel Prize, not the Americans, so maybe you've got the wrong country on that. It's easy for us as well, isn't it? Sat in a, in a pub in London where really to be more Eurocentric benefits England, benefits nations that, that we're all affiliated to. How about around the rest of the world? Is it fair to say there will be some people who are not actually joyous that Sepp Blatter has gone, that they're going to see that today has marked the start of maybe a bad rain fit for their countries? Jeremy's looking hesitant, but go on in, Jamie. I'm just saying go for it. Uh, one of the issues, actually, is to really reform FIFA... Get rid of Sepp Blatter, that's, that's happening. Move it out of Switzerland. Mm. If there's one country yeah. in the world where you can hide your money, mm. it's Switzerland. Move it to, somebody mentioned Sweden, move it to Stockholm, move it to New York. If you look at something completely different, the United Nations, there's very, that has been pretty well run by people from Africa, by leaders from Asia. It can be done. Move it out of Switzerland to um, uh, somewhere else, obviously, um, such as you know, New York, Stockholm, um, and actually get other people in managing it. And what, you can address any of the points that you've heard, but I mean, what do you think needs to happen next? I just think it's always nice to have a little bit of transparency and I think the whole thing has made fans just feel a little bit more powerless in the whole thing, you know, and we get our information from the media, which we obviously isn't, you know, the most reliable sources, but it just gives us that sense of, you know, what do we know and what, what, <laughs> it's John talking about, you know, us fans, what, what do we really know and what can we really do about it? And I think it's important that we kind of, there is change, but a positive change and you know, am I confident that's going to happen? I'm not sure. Well, on Twitter, we've been using the hashtag FSFpod, and hopefully you've been using it in the room as well to interact. We've had lots and lots of responses. Uh, we actually, earlier, from the FSF account, put out the tweet, if money were no object, would you go to either Russia or the Qatar World Cups, or would you boycott them out of principle? Uh, some of the responses on here, and it's an overwhelming response that something would be boycotted, whether it's one or the other. A lot of people saying both. People saying they'd definitely not go to Qatar. Qatar seems to be the is there anyone in favour of going to the Qatar World Cup? Say, okay, we've got someone hesitant down here, Richard. Um, I was curious. I sort of was looking into the history of football in Qatar in the week, actually, just because, in my mind, it didn't exist before they got given the World Cup, just because, you know, why would I read up on it? But they've actually had a league there for, I think, the last 52 years. Uh, they've got 14 teams. A lot of them do share stadiums. Um, I'm not saying they, they... I don't think they deserve it this time but I think it's you know time that maybe you know maybe it could have gone there in time but they, ha they definitely have not got a, you know, there's, there's an existence of a football culture there which is better than I thought when they got awarded it in the first place which is why I'm sort of a bit waving my hand 50-50 <laughs> A couple of the, the tweets that we've had in just at the top of my page here immediately say, say the same thing mm. Russia I think it's a good thing Russia has got the, the, the framework it's got the history uh, people feeling more in favour of Russia and that you wouldn't boycott that Dave saying yes down at the front who we've heard from um, I want to bring Kevin again for a second because I know that you're very close with the England supporters group would you suggest that there should be a boycott should England make the next World Cup, do you think, from a supporting point of view, is that a way of us as fans having our say? 
Well, I think it's a shame if the pressure is put back on individual supporters or even supporters collectively to make a decision that they've got to boycott a tournament. Uh, what I would have liked to see, and, and this was predating Blatter's resignation, because I think that was one of the things it would be focused on, is the idea that you try to undermine the gravy train that was FIFA and that power base and the corruption that went with it, and effectively by blowing up the World Cup by getting all of the European nations to boycott it. In other words, to completely change the, fact, uh, to change the nature of it. One idea that I quite liked when I heard about it is, was that in, 2000, in, in 2022 that the European nations, that UEFA, could have organised a tournament in the summer. They could have invited the leading nations, always the ones who are likely to qualify from the other confederations, host that in Europe in the summer, and then go after the sponsors and the broadcasters that otherwise would have pumped all their money into FIFA, provide an alternative tournament then, and then use that as a platform to reconstitute a world fo football body from there. I think that's di that sort of boycott is very different from asking individual fans to say there is going to be the World Festival of Football, you shouldn't individually go. That's a very interesting suggestion there um, and, and interesting to get your ideas as to how you would perhaps reform things or you'd stage your own sort of, sort of uh, demonstration or what, whatever we would like to call it. I would like to pitch in with John and Amwar because uh, it seems that there seems to be more favourability towards Qatar um, going out of the World Cup and Russia being okay and being in it. But let's not forget some issues with Russia recently. Their human rights is, is debatable to say the least. Um, there's been a lot of home um, problems out there. There's been racist chanting. I mean, from both of your perspectives and who you represent, what, what are your thoughts? Well, like anything, you know, if you're a, a supporter of England, you're going to go to a World Cup, you have to take all these things into account. And that is definitely going to be a serious issue for people travelling to Russia. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's something you have to consider, you know, regardless of who you are, because that's the environment. But, you know, you don't want to discourage England fans to go and support their country. But there are issues that are within that country that are probably not so uh, prominent, you know, in the rest of Europe. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go with I'd, and what Kev said. That it's not an individual choice. I think this is a sort of a government level because let's not forget Russia's invaded Ukraine and is sort of annexing countries in a way that we've, in our colonial past, have felt guilty and rightly been criticised. And I actually think the, the, the real danger is the World Cup in Russia isn't about whether fans or associations. I think there's a real danger that the war will spill over or something stupid will happen because they're edging closer to provoking people in Europe. And, and I, th I think that that's probably more of a risk than... The, I'm sure the tournament will go ahead if they don't do anything stupid and go to war and take, try and annex Latvia or Estonia. But there, there's a real... There's a real thing about Putin that, that people don't understand. That it's not, it's not about personal vanity. It's about trying to re-establish a, a commonwealth of Russian nations that would, he feels he's lost. Would you go to the World Cup in Russia? I w I, no, I wouldn't go to no. Russia. No, no. Would you, Anwar? I'd like to, but I'd, I'd have my reservations. But yeah. I'd, I'd go. Anybody in the room? Show of hands. Uh, let's get some actual vocal yeses or noes. You, Russia. Yes, we're getting a few yeses at the back. Let's go straight to the back of the room and get an opinion back there. Uh, Can you just introduce yourself? I'm Asif Leverson. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been to Russia three times before watching football, and personally I've never had a problem there. And I don't think you're going to change anything by having debates like this. You're only going to change something by going over there and confronting the issues. Uh, their, their perception is that we're telling them how to behave. Okay, can you pass the microphone backwards? Can we get your opinion in your name? I'll follow on from what the, the guys just said here. That um, <clears throat> The perception that we have of Russia, I think, is always going to be distorted. And 
the whole media thing of it being hosted in Russia just feeds into the debate and that we shouldn't go there and play football because they've done this and they have a human rights issue. But we have issues here um, that I'm sure that they would complain about and not be happy with. So I think it's a bit of a weak argue, you know, point to say that we shouldn't go and play football there because of the human rights thing. Okay, well, whilst Jamie makes his way down the front, we're going to get Jonathan's opinion, because the editing the blizzard, you'll have a, an opinion on all this. But let's just get from Laura as well. Would you go to Russia? Um, probably not. Uh, but just following up on that point, it's, it's this whole sort of geopolitics kind of thing that we're sort of... Uh, attributing to, to football at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the day football is a sport but the administration of it at the moment is based all on this geopolitics in that we are we are enforcing our sort of westernised view on how we perceive that uh, others should ad, uh, run their administration of football is it right is it wrong I don't know there are arguments for, for and against um, you, you look at Qatar and you look at the amount of migrant deaths and things like that, and from our, from our perspective, that is the most horrendous thing. Mm. But is that how they see it in the Middle East? Are we getting a true, uh, balanced argument? And I'm not sure we are. Kev, answer the Russia question, and then please tell us, would you look to get a boycott for the Qatar World Cup in 2022? Well, this specific question of would I go, I think my job requires me to go because I run the fans obviously for the England team and England fans when they go but I've, I mean I've been to matches there before and I went to two in, within six months of each other when England played Russia in, the, in a qualifier uh, I've got to say it was probably the least pleasant trip I've ever been on uh, it was there was a level of hostility towards English fans that I've not encountered anywhere else the Russians declined to send the tickets for the England fans over to England so they could have them beforehand so we had to organise a distribution system of tickets and the only safe place they could find to distribute them in Moscow was at the British Embassy so we had to turn up with their passports go through security and go into the British Embassy to get their passports there was a huge queue the day, on the day to pick the tickets up and we estimate that one in three roughly of the English fans who attended there had been attacked, beaten up or robbed or a combination of the three on the day before. Uh, it was absolutely hostile and vicious and uncontrolled. Six months later we went there for the Champions League final, um, which the Manchester United against Chelsea, two sets of English fans and it was a completely different atmosphere. And I think partly it was because it was much more partisan for the first one, whereas the second one, I think they were bidding for the Olympics at the time, trying to create a good impression, but they were more like neutral hosts of a, of a, of a game. And I think in that particular context, then that may be more a parallel of what you'd expect through the course of the World Cup. But I do think you'd have to, we'd have to think very carefully as an organisation about the, the advice that we gave to fans who were travelling from a black and ethnic minority background, to gay fans who go and how they conduct themselves, about issues about personal safety. So there are big questions about, I think, about the, the fans' experience at a World Cup in Russia. Qatar, I think, is a completely different question. I've been to Qatar for a match before as well. The Brazil versus England was obviously played in Doha. Where else would Brazil play England? <laughs> and apparently when we went there, it was... I mean, I haven't done quite as much research as uh, others have on the 
the traditions of Qatari football, but we were told when we were there it was the first ever game for which fans had bought tickets in Qatar. They had never charged admission for a match before. Every other match had been free entry, and the Qataris were quite bemused by the fact they actually had to buy tickets. They also, I don't think they'd ever seen a football crowd as drunk as the English were, because <laughs> despite the laws on alcohol consumption, etc., there is just nothing else to do but drink. Uh, and so they were just in the hotels all day drinking and then went to the match drunk as lords. Is it right to say, and we'll, br- we'll bring you in now, Jonathan, that if England united and did boycott, and that was led by Kev, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, um, if that happened... Would it make any difference, or would we just see our players missing out on two huge tournaments? I mean, I think that's partly this. If you, I mean, if you manage to get a, a general UEFA boycott, obviously not including Russia and its allies, the danger then is that you play precisely in the hands of whoever follows on from Blatter in suggesting that a European president other than Blatter is necessarily going to make it Eurocentric. If you, you know, the tournament you suggested, Kev, I think. Yeah, had there been a need to bring FIFA to its knees, which now is going, maybe there isn't, but had there been that need, that is the way to do it. But the danger then is you just confirm every prejudice that everybody in CAF and AFC has about UEFA's motives. Whatever your actual motives are, that's how it'll be portrayed and that's how it'll look. Unless, of course, you've made transparent from the start that in relaunching FIFA, you're going to have a transparent method of distribution of wealth to every other country. And see, I don't think there's a problem with FIFA generating profits from a World Cup and then distributing that to other nations which couldn't generate the money themselves in supporting football in those countries. But it shouldn't be perceived to be in the gift of the president where he does a visit and says, oh, I've brought with me some 4G pitches and a new headquarters for you. It should be a transparent system. And yes, you're quite right what you said before, Jonathan. I think that uh, if... You know, Prince Ali had made that as a clear programme. If UEFA had a clear programme where they said a lot of what has become custom and practice under the Blatter presidency is good and right and will continue, but in a transparent and above-board way, then I think you can cut across a lot of that. And the other problem there is, of course, a lot of the presidents of local FAs have no interest in being transparent at all. But to come back to the point that you made, John, what happens if Ukraine qualify for 2018 World Cup? Does anybody broach that? Yeah, and what, well, what, what happens then? And, and if I was a Ukrainian, I'd be busting the guts to make sure our team were there and would draw Russia in the first round and that's, you know, if there's a powder keg waiting to explode, that's, that's, the, that's the problem really. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, do, I do fear that a lot of our antipathy to, to the Qatar bid rather than the Russian bid is actually um, evidence of our Eurocentrism. We sort of accept Russia, well, you know, they've, they've got a proud tradition, whatever. But actually in terms of how the bids were done, you've got the fundamental problem that Qatar was bidding for Summer World Cup and is incapable of hosting in the summer. So that's a technical issue. But in terms of the actual level of corruption within the bids, I, I mean, I'd look very carefully at both of them. And actually, I'm not even sure when the last World Cup wasn't one corrupt. Yeah, it wasn't the last bid to host World Cup. I'm not sure the last one that wasn't corrupt. I mean, think back to, to Germany in 2006. They got it because Charles Dempsey, the 79-year-old New Zealander, was fled his hotel room in terror the night before the vote, and he would have voted for South Africa. That would have made it 12-all. Blatter would then have had a casting vote, and he'd have voted for South Africa. So this is a, a long-term problem. And whoever, whatever replaces Blatter, there's a whole body of, of rottenness to get rid of.
Has anyone got any burning points they want to make um, regarding uh, whether you would go, whether you wouldn't, should there be a boycott? Have we even given any consideration to the players? Um, the fact that, that a player like Jamie Vardy, for instance, who's got called up to England, maybe he will be part of the next campaign, but if we boycotted Russia, then a player like that would miss out completely. I know that Dave's biting to say something. I'd like to um, agree that um, it's a shame that whatever the um, political situation is, and whilst we've all got sympathy with, you know, what's going on politically, it would be a shame for um, players to miss out on the chance of um, competing in the World Cup, whether England's going to win it or not. But uh, I'd also like to say a couple of other points. I've been to um, Russia um, four times for football, I never encountered any problems. I go there all the time. I've got family there, and uh, I've never encountered any problems. And whilst um, I would rather the World Cup wasn't in Qatar because of the technical issues, you know, a summer World Cup, you know, we hear moan about um, people coming over to the UK and breaking our laws. You know, we all tittered when Kev said, you know, all the England fans were drunk in Qatar, you know, if you go abroad to another country, you should respect their laws, whatever you think, you're in somebody else's country and I, you know, I can't really agree with you on that. I, I just think one of the points... Oh, no, no, I'm not... So, <laughs> no, I, no, I agree, I know you weren't, yeah. but, you know, the, the but, fact but, is that I think England support should behave themselves and but, respect but, the laws of the country what, that they're of, in. One of the things about going to Russia, if you're black or gay or lesbian, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're like the most perfect person you're likely to get attacked and battered because you're black and it doesn't matter if you're the best behaved person in the world you're completely the most generous graceful people are t my, my friend Lou from football the homophobia was there at the weekend and she was saying people are going around with Nazi insignia she felt feared for a life that's that's the reality of it and what's worse is I, I, I think at least if that was happening in other parts of the world, the police would take an interest. But there, the police are probably leading the attack. And that's the culture we've got there. It's when, I go and stay, when I go and stay in yeah. Russia... Um, I, I'll challenge you then. Next time you go into, go into Red Square and announce that you're the gayest man in, in Britain. No, and, I, and, and what will happen? I know those. Yeah. I, I so, know about so, those issues. So, so that's, that, that's, that's, for me, that's good enough reason not to go. Or if you were if you were black or you were mixed race and you went into Red Square, people would come up and they would they would they would be very rude to you. They'd probably abuse you. Some people might even try to steal your phone or your wallet. And that's that's the reality for people. So whether you're a star player or whether you're a fan, certain sections of our community and it's one big community are at risk there for just being who they are. They don't have to say anything. They don't have to be drunk. And I know we laughed and I think you're right. We should respect laws, but you can't. There isn't a law that says just because of who you are you should be stoned to death that's wrong and um, Amwak should we get you to get the final word on this again you know it's a sort of um, I can see both sides of the argument but there is that safety issue you've got to think that as an individual forget the football you know forget you know whatever event is happening there as an individual you've got to think of people's safety and you know, the country has a history for being unsafe for people that we've, we've talked about. That's just a fact. Mm. And sometimes it's hard to believe if you haven't encountered that. But, you know, you ask a hundred kind of Asian, black or LGBT community people, would you feel safe? I guarantee the answer would they wouldn't be because of what they hear and what are the facts. Now, I'd like to think that they would go and they wouldn't have any issues. Mm. You know, if we're thinking about a utopia, great. 
Is that a reality? I'm not sure. Well, a reminder then that you are listening to the FSF podcast, the very first one. And if you've got any burning issues you want to get off your chest regarding that topic to do with FIFA, uh, you can do. You can use the hashtag FSF pod, but you can also go and listen to this podcast. Um, on the FSF website, there is an ability to post comments below, and we'd love to hear from you there. We'll keep the conversation going on. So if you could change one rule in football or anything about football before the start of the new season, uh, looking ahead, what would you change? There was actually a, an article uh, in the Guardian and uh, coming out on top with 31% of their vote was only captains being able to speak to the referee. Uh, do we have any reaction to that in the room? A few nods? There should never be a draw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should always have to win. Is that a nice Murray Mint? <laughs> <laughs> um, there should never be a draw anymore. Jeremy, you look like you were eager to say. Oh, uh, sorry, it's just outrage at the thought of there never being a draw. I mean, it, it's, it's an essential part of the game. You don't always win and you don't always lose. Okay. Uh, for me, it would be uh, getting a book in for taking your shirt off just because it pisses off the sponsors. I'd be naive and ambitious and reintroduce the old Rule 34, which said that shareholders can't take a profit out of a football club. Uh, Martin is actually touching on, on something that, that's been raised here in, the, in this as well. There is other things. Uh, the, there's obviously the ones that we've touched on with the FA Cup as well, a better ticket deal for fans and bringing that to league football. Uh, four relegation places, anybody for that? No. God, no. Uh, Richard? Uh, <laughs> I think... Um, I think... Not being able to appeal yellow cards um, in a match because two yellow cards can make a red and then you can't appeal yellows, so therefore the ban remains. I think you should be able to, like in tennis, have sort of three, three sort of calls maybe per season or something like that, so you can sort of say, oh, you know, I want to relook at this or, or something. I think, I think the yellow card system needs to be reworked, especially with the five equals a ban, because five silly tackles or something might you know, equal a ban for someone, an important player at an important time. Salary caps? Anyone thinking a salary cap would be a good idea? I'm all for the salary caps. Um, I think that plays a big part in uh, the national team, particularly England, um, suffering. I think our players now are paid extortionate amounts which feeds into them not really wanting to play for their country. We'll get more audience, um, audience reactions, but if we haven't heard from you, can you just remind us who you are? Yeah, I'm Gareth, and I'm a Liverpool fan. Uh, from the guy who said that he really enjoyed seeing Sergio Aguero in the Premier League, he then wants to put a salary cap in the Premier League, which means he's going to play for La Liga. So I think the danger of the salary cap is that it would only ex exist in England. We don't exist in a bubble, and all the best players would go to Europe. Do you know, I think the one thing, picking up on what Kev's been saying about reform, we need a football act that puts all this into legislation so it's not dependent on the goodwill of benevolent owners or who's, you know, rule F. Because the FA are, in my opinion, quite poor in terms of enforcement. And we do need, actually, a sort of act where it's statutory about involving fans, about how you involve the game. Because it's 2015 and a lot of our rules date back, I don't know when that Rule 34 came in, it's about 1870 or something. And why we keep going back when we should be looking forward. And we do need a proper review of football. It's our premier national sport and it's worthy of attention. If we can have 
rules about bedroom taxes and things. We can certainly have a la- an act about football because it is a national pastime and it's a national it's a national obsession. This is our very first FSF podcast, and already John has got us writing a whole act uh, by the time this, uh, this <laughs> next it, season finishes. Well, Kev, Kev can do it. Yeah, He's we'll get Kev that. on it. Yeah, Kev yeah, will do Kev, it. It's Kevin fine. and Mandra would be great. Um, we're going to go quick fire now, just around the audience. So, rule changes. What do you think? Is there anything that you're desperate to see ahead of the new season? Starting there with you, yeah, sir. Yeah, it's more of a question than an answer. Um, there seems something fishy about the loan system to me. I think Chelsea had about 20, 25 <laughs> players out on loan last season. I, I don't know what the answer is, but it, it just seems a little bit wrong. There's a whiff out, out there of that. Okay. I think... Martin made a very good point about Rule 34, and I'd encourage anyone who doesn't know about it to Google it and read up on that because it's pretty shocking stuff. But on the pitch, I think the red cards are probably dished out a bit too easily, particularly for fouls in the penalty area. You get a game 10 minutes in, someone accidentally clips someone's heel 10 yards out, given a red card penalty against them, they go 1-0 down and they're suspended for the next game. It's like a triple punishment that I think spoils the game slightly. One more mention of Rule 34. I think we should change the name of the podcast. Um, I'd go for uh, the, there's a transfer window, not only just for you know, players, but for also managers. for managers. So, you know, you could have a You've team got some agreement for the struggling. first time tonight. <laughs> you have You've got a team enough. which is struggling. You know, you bring in someone like Tony Pulis. You know, Arsenal are going for Champions League. They go to West Brom, all of a sudden they can't get they can't get a win. It's like you're banking on that game for Arsenal to win. They bring in a new manager. You know you're not going to get anything because they've signed this superstar, super <laughs> defensive-minded uh, manager. I think it should it should be where teams can only sign a new manager in a certain period during the season, not whenever they want to. Unfortunately, time is against us and we can't write the entire act. I think we're going to end with Ian, the Sunderland fan. Transfer window to close before the start of the season and not at the end of August. Yeah. Which, which has yeah. got a collective yes yeah. as well. I think we've ended on a yes, have we? Yes. Yes, yes. yes. a collective yes for, for Ian, the Sunderland fan. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I want to finish by asking where are you going to get your football fix this summer? Uh, we won't ask the West Ham fan at the back because we know that's not going to be the Women's World Cup in Canada. But um, where are you going to get your football fixes? I'm going to have a nice couple of months off. Thank you very much. Is it, is it, does it come to the point where we, we want a break from football? Yeah, so a few people saying yes. Talking about the FA Cup in July, that's when it starts. You know, go to your local yeah, team, watch yeah. the uh, yeah. watch your local team in the FA Cup in the first extra preliminary round. And, I, and I've got to have a, a, a hunch that Laura might be a Copper America fan. <laughs> that, that's a big hunch. Yeah. No, am I wrong? Yeah, no, I'm not going to be watching oh, okay. that. Okay, yeah. I thought I'd Women's just give it a World Cup. You'd be able to watch Sergio in the Copper America. Indeed. <laughs> already trained for it. With his salary cap. Yeah, with his, <laughs> and his golden boots. I think that's a good place for us to leave it. Um, thank you very much to our panel, to you, our audience. So we'll get a big round of applause for you, first of all, for taking part, being vocal. A few of you looking hesitant at times, but then coming forward, delivering the goods, uh, as have our panel. So uh, please thank Laura, uh, also John, Kev, and Anwar. And I've been Lindsay Hooper. Thank you very much for listening. Um, FSF Pod is at hashtag on Twitter. Do let us know what you thought.